I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and today's phenomenal episode we got to have Mr. Stephen Kotler back on for this is I think the third time. Um, I got he of respect for Stephen in the world of writing. Um, he is multiple time New York bestselling author of various different rad books that I would highly recommend, such as uh, Rise of Superman, good one, uh, Stealing Fire, tremendous. Just had Jamie Whelan here as well, tune back into that episode. Um, Bold Abundance with Tier- Peter Diamandis. Uh, he's working on three books right now at the same time. So ridiculous. In this conversation, we get into how the hell he does that. Um, We get into psychology of robot, AI, uh, the future of technology, how that's going to impact us. A lot of amazing stuff. I hope you guys absolutely devour this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the website. If you're drawn that direction, it's aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can start the five-day movement challenge. On there, you will discover how to integrate better movement and do literally everything you're doing throughout the day. There's some basic fundamentals that everybody needs to get, and we never got the memo in elementary, middle, or high school. Uh, So that's there for you. Check that out. Also, show notes for this and the rest of the episodes. Thank you all so much for leaving reviews on iTunes. My phone just blew up a little bit there. That was uh, opportune time for that. Uh, if you guys leave us a review and we read it like I'm about to do, we'll send you out a box of something delicious from on it. Uh, review comes from Christo72. Amazing, he says. Lots of M's and A's and Z's in there. Align podcasts are right on. Uh, no matter which one I listen to, they all make perfect sense. I have shared several of them with friends and now they can't get enough either. Thanks for that, Christo. Um, hit us up at Align Band or Align Podcast on Instagram and uh, send us a direct message and we'll send you out a box of something from on it. This conversation was recorded during Flow Camp in Boulder, Colorado. So really fantastic events that Flow Genome Project puts on. Uh, this year I was honored to be one of the instructors there. So uh, really great. Highly recommend checking out Flow Genome Project. This was recorded out on the porch in between sessions. So I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Back to the show align podcast so amanita mascari is a no then mm. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have someone we'll absolutely, we'll absolutely i'd be interested it. in that the shaman piss just the ceremony around <laughs> yeah, that with sounds the, fascinating the reindeer piss holy god and um, then you get to recycle it yes which that's just drinking efficient <laughs> <laughs> what's your next project man what are you psyched on right now i have a novel coming out uh in uh in may uh it's my first novel in 20 years um which was really 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 fun um and uh so that's that's the one that i'm most excited about i'm working on another book with peter diamandis uh sort of the third book in the abundance bold yeah uh, the next book about kind of disruptive technology and where it's going and what it means uh i'm working on a high performance book uh and then there's four or five other projects but what that's is what's in the middle what's most disruptive in the te- technological space Oh, it's, I mean, everything is disruptive. I mean, this week we were, you know, last week we were look. I was writing about quantum computing, which um, is significantly farther along than I, you know, even I thought it was. Like until I 
dove back into this world. You come out for like three months and pay attention to other things. You go back in, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> what has happened? Um, no, I, the, the most interesting thing I did all week is I spent the entire week. So Microsoft introduced in, well, either 2014 or 2017, I'm getting conflicting dates and I haven't sorted out which one it is, a chatbot, AI, uh, released only in China, known as Xiao Voice. Xiao Voice has become the largest Turing test in history. She's had 300 million conversations yeah, with over her. 100 million people. She has right? her own Instagram account. She has her own Instagram account. Yeah, she I love was a TV I follow, announcer. I follow her. So I spent the whole <laughs> I spent the whole week investigating like the boundary conditions of Xiao Voice's knowledge, like all week because I was playing with AI and I was reading about the neural nets that built her and how she learns. And you can get some really strange responses from Shrout, <laughs> Xiao Voice if you ask her. You know. Questions about relationships or love. It's really interesting. What I think is super interesting is, you know, usage with her. Twenty million people interact with her at least twice a month, right? Like that's those are the stats, and most of it takes place after midnight, like in the lonely hours. And a lot of what she does, if is give relationship advice. Like she's really good. She's a she's built for friendliness and to maintain conversations and emotion. She remembers emotional states and she can have emotional conversations. It's the best thing. Mostly she's like a seventeen-year-old girl and she gets mad at you and yells at you and like you piss her off and she won't talk to you anymore and like it's really bizarre. But on emotional stuff. She's actually fairly eloquent and gives really smart advice. I'll give you a mm. random example. At one point when I was first investigating this, I typed in, I think my girlfriend is mad at me. And her response was, well, are you spending most of your time looking backwards into the past or looking forwards into the future? And I was like, what? are you fucking kidding me? This is an AI? <laughs> really? Interesting question. Mm. And um, my point is that She's keeping people company in the lonely hours after midnight, mostly teenagers, and they're asking her for advice, emotional wow. advice. There are relationships. There's going to be, at some point, there's probably already exists a child that exists because Shawais fixed their relationship and these people had kids as a result, and there's a Shawais baby out there somewhere. There's probably something to like the lack of, complete lack of bias from something that you conceive as being a, a non living organism. So we saw the same thing. Um, in Stealing Fire, we wrote about Ellie, right? The uh, the uh, world's first AI psychologist. She was built by the Department of Defense to kind of stem the tide of soldier suicide. Mm. They wanted to be able to identify signs of suicide and depression and PTSD way in advance. So it's a diagnostic. And uh, she was built at USC. I actually hung out with her. I, I had a session with her. Um, and we wrote about it in Stealing Fire. And one of the, the most common findings to come out of the research they tested it with the army and they're now rolling this out uh it, it's very effective but was it soldiers preferred talking to an ai than to a real human because the ai never judges yeah yeah i could see that huh they gotta start a podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could give an ai that's, a podcast yeah that's what i'm saying oh she's God, ready brilliant idea <laughs> Let's, we need to pioneer the AI podcast. You probably know the person to email right now. You, you have relationships. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Have you done, have you done much work with uh, human psychologists? Meaning I know people who know people who kill people. Yeah, that's what, okay. that's what, that's what I'm alluding to. Okay. Have you done work with real psychologists? Like, you, like talk oh, therapists? Have I, got, have I ever seen a therapist? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Not that I think you're I crazy. I was like, have I done real work? I mean, I was like, we've got psychologists on our board. We like, I do experiments. No, 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 no. I that's different. I, I Not your, your buddy that's a psychologist. No, um, like, so, sit down. Um, I'm that guy that psychologists, like, they, 
I know a lot of psychology. I, I work in, like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't sort of, they get, they get angry with me. Mm. Um, usually it has not, it has not worked. I have not, I have yet to find a therapeutic environment um, that works. I've also not found a coaching environment. I've gone through a bunch of different, you know, things, and I think they're all, all these things seem to be very, very useful for very short periods of time. One month interventions, anything beyond that, I haven't seen work a whole lot. Yeah. What do you see works for relieving? So talking about like Nietzsche and kind of like relieving, um, what was the language you used? Relieving trauma, kind of like being able to access flow states from letting go of some of your shit. You didn't say that exactly, but well, no. I mean, like I wasn't even talking about that. Like this is Freud. You know, said a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, which we remember, but he said a whole ton of stuff that made a lot of sense, and we've sort of been incorporated in the culture. One of the first things he said is the whole point is Freud's point was like, look, man, the unconscious is big. It runs the show, and I'm just gonna shut this door. We're out here out front of. We're out, where are we? We're in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Flow Genome Project. Talking about all sorts of things, and there's a blender happening right inside the door. My apologies. No worries. What were we talking about? Uh, I got lost. There was a blender. You got up. It was, yeah, there was a lot. Um, well, uh, my question was was resolving trauma and oh, such, trauma. getting so, out of the yeah, way. Yeah. So, so Freud's point was, um, look, man, you've got to get through, you got to get past culture and mommy first. They're big. These are like you got to break free of that stuff, the weight of that, because so much of it is unconscious programming and it's automatized. Um, <laughs> you have to get through that crap, right? Then Young came along and said, "Hey, wait a minute! You got to get through that crap, and then you got to go face your darkest, deepest fears, and you got to go on your hero's journey and face your confront your shadow side. Like it's not enough just to get past mommy and culture. You then got to get past your own shit, and then we can start talking about real high performance." In, and in my, just in my experience in terms of um, being around most people who have tackled impossible challenges, right? My core interest, what is it? You know, I'm interested in people who have done this stuff that had, nobody else has done. And how, to, how do you do the impossible? How do you do what has never been done before? And where does that come from in whatever domain? And um, consistently, you see that people break free from culture and mommy first. They get over those. You know, they get to a place of new of neutrality and I can make up my own mind about that stuff. Yeah. Then they go after, you know, their demons. And, you know, most people tend to find out that, you know, every time you have, you know, one of the lessons of high performance is every kryptonite is also your superpower, right? Yeah. There, we tend to work that way. So that part of the journey, I think, is, you know, everybody's got trauma. Nobody, you know what I mean? It's called life. It's, it's hard here. That's one of the craziest things that took me a really long time to learn. But as a journalist meeting, you know, everybody from presidents and kings to, you know, celebrities to anybody you could possibly meet. And then, you know, on into the rest of my life, it, nobody, it's not easy for anybody. Yeah. Everybody suffers at every level in every career, especially if you give a shit about what you're doing. It seems like that's kind of a helpful thing. Like I, I mentioned, it's this Vipassana thing and the whole, the whole kind of summary moral of it is is being equanimous with any situation we were talking about this earlier a bit you know so it's like great this is an amazing situation it feels really good well don't get too attached oh this is a horrible situation i lost my arm whatever well don't get too attached and if you can kind of maintain that equanimity in any situation it can kind of it like buffers you or kind of like uh like any moment can be practice for your happiness essentially as long as you don't get too attached to to any one thing that's not an answer or solution or anything. That's just like a... I think one of the hardest things to understand um, about success, meaning, any of those 
things we want to talk about, well-being, all that life satisfaction, um, is it's compound interest. It's just a little bit of extra work every day for 10 years, 20 years. It, that's how it adds up and stacks up. And right. it's really hard to see that for a long time. It takes a really, you know what I mean? You have to live your way through all that sort of suffering to get to, you're like, oh, this was all about compound interest. But until the compound interest shows up and you could actually, you're like, oh, crap, that's what this, it's invisible. It's completely yeah. invisible and you just have to kind of like push harder every day. What are the principles to follow to compound? Obviously, it's different depending upon what your goals are, but what are some principles that have been valuable for you? Well, I, so I, I, like what I've, I think you have to stack you got to start by aligning and stacking motivations. Right. You got to like line up all possible motivators. You got to learn how to turn curiosity into passion, passion into purpose, layer in autonomy and mastery. So you have the three big intrinsic motivators. You also have to acknowledge that fear is a very big motivator and learn how to work with that positively. You have to understand that pride and money are huge motivators and solve those, right? Like that full stack. And then you have to layer in the six layers of grit. And if you do all that, that's what pays compound interest. And I know that sounds crazy. No, I like but I it. I think that's exactly. What are the six layers of grit? So um, grit is traditionally, if you if you go by Angela Duckworth's research and her definition, that she talks about is the intersection of passion and perseverance. And she's absolutely correct. Those things are true. But it turns out from a training perspective, there are six you have to break perseverance into six categories essentially and each of them seem to train independently so there's the standard what we think of as perseverance what the navy seals mean by embrace the suck or i've got a sign over my desk that says do the hard thing right like it's just kick me in the teeth punch me in the gut i'm still coming doesn't matter i'm going to get up tomorrow i'm going to do it again i'm going to get up tomorrow i'm going to do it again and i don't care that's <laughs> right and the how do you train that you do it day after day after day after day right like that's how you train that in a sense um that's level one. Um, and the next level is you have the grit to control your thoughts. Because right. if you can't, right? I mean, David Foster Wallace, This Is Water is the greatest meditation on this um, ever. And it's free online at this point. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. But um, you have to learn how to do that. And that maybe it's a mindfulness practice where you learn practice getting into the gap and stretching out and realizing, wait a minute, there's a space between thought and emotion. And I've got some flexibility and some adaptability in that situation. Whatever it is. You have to get some control over your thoughts, and that's a grit practice. Hmm. There's no other way around it. It daily, hard, unpleasant work. You're going to suffer at it and be terrible at it for years, right? And nobody ever ultimately wins that. Maybe the Dalai Lama has won that one, but I think he's lying. Are there any action steps <laughs> on getting hold of the thoughts? Well, the action steps are develop a mindfulness practice. Understand that there is biologically a gap between when information comes in and you're holding it in your brain it's called latent inhibition the longer you can hold information in your brain without judging it the more creative and flexible you are in what solutions it's because when you first put something into your brain if, if the sensory input automatically automatically lines up you go for the first option right and just judge it immediately and go for that first option real creativity comes goes from farther out in the neuronal chain like extending the size of the database the pattern recognition system searches huh. and that takes a little bit of time so it's called latent inhibition it's directly correlated with creativity <laughs> and you can get in you can extend that spot mindfulness training over even two weeks i mean 20 minutes a day of following your breath vipassana 
will start to lengthen that, right? And you'll see, you'll notice there's a gap. Where it gets really interesting and where this starts to get really unusual is oftentimes you can play that same game with physical sensation. So there is a signal that says, oh, this is about to hurt. And there is a gap between the point of pain and it hurts. And you can stretch it. You can play with it, right? And it's a lot more flexible. And, you know, I've broken a lot of bones along the way and things like that. And if you really fuck yourself up, you, you learn it's there out of its survival. You have to. This is how you get through long physical therapy and everything else. But um, so it's not just, you know, there's a, there, you can play with that gap between thought and sensation um, a little bit. And, it, you know, useful mindfulness training is a really easy way to get, get there. Mm. Yeah, pain's are really interesting. I want to hear what the what the other levels of the grit are actually. Um, um, there, so uh, we were at, we were at I two. Would, yeah, and when I was so uh, this is I was talking to Josh Waitzkin, who I love as a uh, I think he's one of the best minds working in kind of high performance right now. I really like how he thinks about these problems, and uh, he uh, we were talking about it. and He said, you know, I think he said I think you're missing it. I said he said I think the most important grit is the grit to be your best when you're at your worst. And he said, you have to train it independently. And he said, some yeah. of that, like, you know, Wim Hof's cold showers, right? That's training to be, if yep, you can, like, exactly. right? I, um, I really adopt this. Um, I always tell, I tell this story, but um, public speaking really matters. Like, everything I do matters. So, like, when I'm on stage, I really care about it. And so when I write a new speech, I practice it aloud a couple of times. And I run it with a couple people in the room sometimes. I tune it and I practice a couple more times and then I wait for a day where I was up late the night before didn't get a whole lot of sleep I work an entire day I go to the gym I work out really really hard I come home don't eat take my dogs and hike them up a mountain and do my speech while hiking up the mountain and if I can do my speech under those conditions well I can do it whenever it you matter. really intentionally do that you swear to baby Jesus <laughs> that's I mean, that's way, impressive. It, it's not. It's not that. I mean, those situations arise in my day, anyways. There's always one day right. every couple of weeks where I didn't get enough sleep, and I'm, you know, I'm going to work out at the end of the day. All I'm doing is putting another hour on the end of it. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But the payoff is, and I got to tell you something. At the end, of, I will, um, this story, the end of Stealing Fire, I was, re I got really sick. It was a hard book to write. I caught a really weird illness. I lost 20 pounds. I sort of lost control of my bowels for a little while. I had to do a speech and I was in that condition and every big speech, lots of people in the room, every single tech thing that could go wrong over the course of a speech, like their entire system, like bit by bit, fell apart. Slides, slides went, sound went, slides came back, but it was somebody else's slide. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine happened over the course of an hour. And I was like, whatever. Like, yeah. I can do this because I've done this fucking speech while I can't be right. hell exhausted. Like, okay, whatever, I got this. The thing, um, the question that I have sometimes as far as, like, having grit and being able to, you know, grit your teeth and bear through and just keep on fighting on is at what point is someone on the wrong path and they're still gritting okay. their teeth yeah. through it? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very fair point um, and sort of worth worth knowing. And I think, you know, on a certain level... Goal setting. One of the things we talked about motivators and aligning all possible motivators. One of the things I didn't talk about um, was goals. And there's a bunch of different levels of goal mm. setting. And I think that's like setting proper goals and setting review sessions for your goals. Because certainly, you know, and I've had this experience, startups are phenomenal. Entrepreneurship is a great example of this where you're like, you're all in. And then you're eight months into the project. You've run into your fifth roadblock. You're still not raising money. And now you can actually see that like, 
everything is a bad it's not a good idea like you gave it your all and you but it's it's and the worst thing you can do is you know go on at that point and now like the next action is you know sometimes the gritty thing to do is to know when to say okay i've had enough right, right? stop i'm done i'm gonna you know this is not best use of my time um Maybe that's a totally different grid subset. I always I have those questions it. with myself. I think they call it like the sunk cost fallacy. It's yeah. kind of like that thing. But I always wonder that because there is the the you know the the allegory of like the guy that's you know he's digging for water and he was like a foot below hitting it and then he stops and I'm just like I wonder how many things but I've so been. So the other the other <laughs> so I have a rule also though is like if I say I'm going to do something out loud if I speak something into the world I do it. Like, it's done. So I take a long time before I'm willing to give voice to something. But if, if you hear me say, oh, wow, that's a really cool idea. I'm going to write a book about that. Yeah. I'm going to write a book about that because I've, I've, like, I've spoken it. So, like, there's a – and I will stick to that. Like, I'll start the book, and if I get two-thirds of it through and it's not working, okay, I'll stop. It's the wrong time to write this book, and I will wait and wait and wait and come back to it 15 years later mm. and, you know just i'm working on a screenplay right now that i wrote 18 years ago cool that's cool man what were the other what were the other layers of the mm. the grit conversation there's I, also the grit to you gotta you gotta be gritty enough to train your weaknesses right and being at your best when you're at your worst is different than training your weaknesses the weak spots in your game you just have to there's no over time you know the great navy seal saying um, it's a quote from a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, who Jamie has written down there, and I can't remember his name, so I'm going to sound stupid here, but I'll quote the seals. But you don't rise to the, when facing a challenge, we don't rise to the occasion, we sink to the level of our training. And that's like functional yeah. neurobiology, right? Like the more norepinephrine, which is anxiety and fear, there is in the system. The, remember earlier I talked about the size of the database the pattern recognition system searches yeah. for solutions? More norepinephrine in the system, it shrinks that database. So the extreme example is fight or flight. In acute fear situations, you only have three options. You can flee, you can fight, or you can freeze. And freezing is actually what happens when the brain gives you both the fight and the flight signal at once. So you're only getting two options, but freezing is actually a short circuit when they cross wire. Um, that's the extreme example, right? But a little bit of norepinephrine in the system, a little bit of fear in the system, that's why we revert to the level of our training, right? It's why... You know, you can be, I'm 50 years old and I can get in an argument with my wife and it can get to a level of like emotional rawness where suddenly I'm arguing like a 14 year old boy, <laughs> right? Like happens to everybody. Like we all do this, right? Like we revert to the level of our training. You revert to the last level where you felt safest and where you were like, well, my fucking Kung Fu works here. So that's where I'm going because shit's in the van, man. <laughs> Damn! God damn! <laughs> Talk about my first dog. <laughs> Are you familiar with polyvagal theory? Stephen Porges, you'll be you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll I, quite appreciate yeah, it as, as I, you get into I, it. I am, but um, only by name, and like I know his name, and I know people have been like, "How are you familiar with Lava? You should check it out." Yeah, yeah, check it out. I mean, there's a lot to get into. There's another book that I'm reading right now that I've reread and re-listened many times, and I don't remember what the name of it is. It's the Healing Powers of the Vagus Nerve, I think is what it's called. Highly recommended. Um, but a lot, of, it's it's great that you mentioned the freeze part because a lot of people think of like you know sympathetic parasympathetic you know fight flight or like or you know relax chill uh but then there's that whole other component whole to your nervous system well the thing that most people and i don't know why that this isn't common knowledge because it's really clear with every every system in the human body is a spectrum experience hmm. flow micro flow to macro flow um 
or you know the full spectrum is actually fight or flight to group flow because fight or flight is the least amount of options and group flow is everybody's performing at their best and there's a group of them and they can go in any direction so it's least options to most options but that's this sort of spectrum of human experience in in that in that book um sorry i cut you off no uh, go ahead please. so in that in that book you have to roll roll it roll a, a thing anyway <laughs> Uh, so, but in the in the book that I I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> you're you're lighting the lighter as we're going. It's not like people don't know what a lighter sounds like. I don't know what you're talking about, man. We're in California, Colorado. <laughs> we're in Colorado. Um, I don't know what I was saying exactly. Oh, go, what? Go I know what I was saying. No, I, I know what I was why. saying. I know what I was saying. Um, so he was. So uh, in that book, they get into one of the things that can take us the quickest out of a. They call it a door dorsal vagal state. So dorsal yeah. vagal state, it's like the posterior side, dorsal means sure. backside, the dorsal fin. Um, when that side is is innervated, when that side is active, it puts you into a little bit more of like a, like a freeze place. Then there's the, just like a little breakdown, like the polypart, um, spinal, I'm okay actually, um, spinal sympathetic branch, which that's like that fight flight part, yep. which is super, super fascinating. I was, the other day, I was riding my bike, going out in front of grocery store, my bike got, I kind of like wobbled for whatever reason up on a curb, and I thought I was gonna fall for a second and I could feel my whole spine like light up with this like prickly oh, electric yeah. I'm like my motherfucking spinal sympathetic brain like I would never think <laughs> no, that yeah, no, it's, like, I, I gotta tell you so yesterday I'm driving up here right and I'm, I'm exhausted I'm halfway th halfway through the drive I've been up since like three o'clock in the morning writing and then I'm you know it's like four hours in and Colorado weekend traffic, like they don't fuck around. It's like 75 miles an hour and like 15 inches between the cars. And you right. got like, and it's one lane, right? Like, and it, and it's significant. And there were three different moments where I, you know, nearly died because somebody tried to pass some, you know, that kind of thing, whatever. Yeah. And each time I just started laughing because I was like, ah, oh, now I'm awake. This is great. Can we good. get another one? I'm good. Let's good. do that. That's another hour. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Albert Einstein had some smart quotes saying you can only perceive what your theory allows or something like that. He, that's like paraphrasing. But like based – you're looking at me like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, no, he, Maybe he, that he, doesn't the, make the sense. The quote you were going for <laughs> you know think, is, is, is you can't – you can't solve a problem at, at a certain level with the same ideas at that level. No, there's a different, different quote. No, there's a different quote. It's something based off of like you you perceive what your theory permits you. It's like your theory is the filter that you perceive the world through. Well, that's, I mean, so the biggest version of that has got to be the Bannister effect, which I wrote about in Rise of Superman, which is named after Roger Bannister, because Bannister, right, if you look at four-minute mile times before he broke it, oh, like, right. right, took him fucking forever, yeah. right, and everybody thought it was impossible, and it was like the quarter a second, a decade to get there, and he breaks the mile time, and a month later, somebody beats his time, and three months later, somebody beats his time, and five years later, it's a teenager, and the physical challenge hasn't changed. All that's changed is the mental frame. What was used to be impossible is now possible. Hmm. They call it the banister effect, and it's just a re it's cognitive reframing. It's cognitive behavioral therapy applied to impossible challenges. Um, There's another potential, like this is like way out there, 
type perspective. But are you familiar with Rupert Sheldrake and morphic resonance and all that stuff? You are savvy with that Shut stuff. Shut up. All right, good. We're not doing this. I know, I know. No. I'm not even going to say no. it. So just people can look into it. But oftentimes, discoveries, they end up being discovered around the same time, like almost like the yeah, same Stephen day. Yeah, Stephen Johnson wrote about that really well in Where Good Ideas Come From. Mm. Great book. Great book. Great writer. Um, and he talks about the clustering of of great ideas and certainly it seems to be true yeah yeah it's interesting bubble up in the zeitgeist yeah right which is you know a lot of people a lot of different philosophers who said this Nietzsche included and in Freud also is that's sort of what they mean by you can't get past your culture like the way it builds a your culture is a cognitive frame around your ideas yeah yeah, that's not to keep on referencing random dead people, but that's like Joseph Campbell in the ordinary world. Joseph Campbell, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's like starting off your no matter what world you come from, that's that's your whole world. That's the ordinary world, and then from there, it's I think like mandatory for every person to go travel and have different experiences, just so you can realize that you the world you come from is strange. Like what you think is normal is strange to someone else out there somewhere. You know. Um, oh, so the thing that I wanted to say about the the, the damn poly 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 stuff. Uh, polyvagal theory stuff. So, uh, ventral, the ventral system, the front side of that branch of, of the, 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 the vagal system, when that's active, that's more like the, they call it social, social engagement. So when you're in a socially engaged place and you know, like right now, like we're hanging out, we're chilling, shooting the shit, like making jokes, like that's like, okay, our nervous system, you can actually study that and see that it's like, oh cool. It's, it, it's, it's content. It feels healthy. The fastest way to take someone out of one of those fight, flight or dorsal, uh, states is through social engagement. So you can kind of like jump, so jump you, the switch. I'll give you a really weird example of exactly what you're talking about. I run a dog sanctuary and I have a lot of dogs in the house. So humans co-evolved with dogs. And one of the first things we did, and the reason we co-evolved with them, they came in and they ate our garbage, right? And cleaner camps led to healthier humans. So friendlier coyote, friendlier wolves were sort of brought into the camps and they became our alarm systems. They hear better and they smell better. Mm. So we outsource safety and security. Now, most people have no idea they do this, but if you sleep with a large pack of dogs with more than like three or four or five dogs, something that actually triggers that evolutionary pattern, you will down, you will offload your safety and security functions. They will drop down a level. You have no idea you're feeling a stress at every moment of time that's just your basic level of alertness i'm you know it's there even when you're asleep right it stays on yeah um but it actually can turn off if you sleep with big packs of dogs when i go on wow. when i travel second night i'm in a hotel it comes back on so i never sleep the second night i'm in a hotel huh. won't happen yeah i've heard that the first night in, a, in any hotel or any new sleeping environment in general you'll have it there's like some evolutionary switch that goes off where you're like you're not you don't subconsciously don't completely trust that environment. I never heard that with the dogs. That's interesting. You really like outsource that part. Yeah, you outsource this. Outsource. So you can feel, like what I'm saying is the same social reaction you're talking about. There's a really kind of deep level of it that is constantly probably producing low-level cortisol, low-level yeah. stress hormones, nor norepinephrine, just to keep you awake enough so that you know you're, that information is, has salience and has been paid attention to. Well, that's where it gets interesting is, is when you have maybe that low-level cortisol drip or whatever the cocktail um, is from some random traumatic thing or some maybe built into the zeitgeist fear that you carry throughout the day that kind of keeps you in maybe this spinal sympathetic or maybe in a freeze place. You know, it's so a figuring out like how, like, I wonder how many people or myself included 
if we're just using this this like the, you know the the polyvagal theory thing like do i even even know what being in a ventral vagal state is so in 2015, we thought we had a pretty good understanding of flow and cortisol, yeah. right? Like if there was ever a state where that was turned off, right? We, as you move into flow, even in Rise of Superman, Herb Benson's work, as you move into flow, all those stress hormones get flushed out of your system, right? And there yeah. was good physiological research that showed the exact that that thing. It made sense. Everybody thought it was true. And then this German team got involved. God damn them. I have been running all kinds, my whole theory. all kinds of, well, it wasn't my theory, but oh, yeah. it was a lot of people's theories, but we have been running cortisol tests on flow for the past three years. And now we don't know what the fuck we know. It's all over the place. Like everything we thought we knew that fit our neat little story of how stress hormones work in the body with like, it's gone. Yeah. We, we are now back to square one saying, okay, we don't, we don't, we don't get it. Isn't that funny how you, you naturally likely, unless you're like a better man than, than a lot will protect your theory, even if you no, it could be wrong. You know, like if you, if you said so like, if you've seen like religious, the, the document yeah, yeah, yeah. You, and you see, I don't know. What's the guy's name? He's, he's brilliant. I quite appreciate him. The yeah, director or the, the, uh, the, the host. The host. Um, yeah. Come on. Nope. He's great. Anyways, religious. Um, but in that, so he's, he's talking to like, you know, people like in the deep South, like super, super religious, like got the, you know, they got the shotgun, like on the ready to kind of sh- chase him out. And they get really defensive from him just asking questions. Like he's not saying anything's wrong or right. He's just asking questions. And it's just an interesting thing when you guard your beliefs so much that it ends up being kind of like a vulnerable place when you, when there's a hint at something that's maybe potentially kind of rocking it a little bit. It's just an interesting thing. I think that's true across the boards. I think that's one of the, um, and it's, you know, science is really hard that way. Because everybody, you know, gets their ideas just turned over and turned over yeah. and turned. Like, that's why we call it science, right? It's just, you know, we think things are true for a long time, and maybe they still tra- stay true at that particular scale, and then there's a different scale to contend with. And it's evolving, and it's a living thing, and it's a blood sport also. It's mean and competitive. But what I love about it, and what it strikes me as so brave about it, is you see these people who have spent their whole life developing one idea, and then suddenly they're like, you know what, I was wrong. The data doesn't line up. I was wrong. Ludwig Wittgenstein is one of the only people I know of as a non-philosopher or non-scientist who did it, who were, you know, wrote the Tractatus, the super famous book, and then spends the rest of his life saying, no, no, I was wrong. Like, yeah. Check it out. This is let's philosophical investigations. You almost trust the person more if they've been wrong and come up and, and, and stood up to it. I'm like, yeah. It's why I never quite understood uh, during couple election cycles ago were like the fact that john Kerry changed his mind mm. was a bad thing right like, yeah that's insane right. that's called thinking <laughs> learning like life like if you don't change your mind well that's prejudice and ignorance and picture like whoa right. hold up stereotypes like we've got problems yeah right? like he's a flip-flopper i'm seriously thank you thank you so much you know it's like fuck you is an insult well no fuck you too yeah. thank you so much has there been any any big uh, things that you flip-flopped on in your life? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and the answer is absolutely. I mean, so one, I started out 
you know, when I was first interested in this consciousness stuff, I mean, I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1986, dropped out of college because the new age was booming, hmm. right? I did monasteries and Asher, you know what I mean? Like I, I went that full route for a while um, and didn't find what I was looking for at all, which was any kind of mystical experience would have been great. I got nothing, zero after, you know, did all the psychedelics, did all the ashram monastery stuff and was like, okay, I, I just spent a long time down this rabbit hole, it turns out it's empty as far as I can tell. And came out and, you know, essentially became a hardcore science writer, right? That was one of the things that moved me in that direction towards science. So, I mean, even at a fundamental level, I think I got turned around on that. <laughs> um, I also think um, I got turned around on a lot of family stuff. Like, I think I, hold, I held my mother and father responsible for a whole bunch of stuff for a lot of years that like now in hindsight I'm like holy crap they had me when they were in their early 20s they were, they were dirt poor yeah. and holy shit they had no idea what they were doing and they had no money and you know like that was like what I was just dealing with like 20 year olds trying to make really hard decisions in the world and you know holding them you know responsible as if they were responsible so you know I got turned around on a lot of family stuff also I think yeah Wanted to take a quick moment to thank the Align Band for supporting this podcast. Align Band is a rad self-care product created by yours truly. I use it with every one of my clients, uh, friends, family. I take it with me anytime I go on any type of traveling trip. Uh, highly recommend getting a resistance band in your life, even if it is not the Align Band. Uh, get yourself a resistance band. This guy comes with a door anchor, a traveling case, so you can hang it up on any hotel door, uh, car door, anywhere. And then you have a band hanging, so you can start mobilizing, opening up your hips, Open up shoulders, open up the ankles, lengthening your neck. Whatever you got to do, you can do it with the Align Band. Um, you can find it at aligntherapy.com slash gear. That's aligntherapy, A-L-I-G-N, therapy.com slash gear. It's also on Amazon, all those different places. Thank you so much for swooping that thing up if you are called, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. What's uh, So what's next in the project list? What should, what should we be be looking forward to well the novel i'm really excited about it's called last tango in cyberspace and cool. it's a um it's like a near-term future thriller about the evolution and importance of empathy and hmm. um and goes from and consciousness and the question um that i think is very relevant in these ai times of what do we mean what is life how do we define life and how do we define consciousness and conscious life and what does that mean once we decide something is conscious um, in terms of the responsibilities that come with it. And it was, um, it's, it's just super fun. I wrote a book that I would want to find, like when I'm running through an airport and I've been traveling for three days and what I want is something that's really fun and engaging and it's going to make me laugh and really grip me. And also when I'm done, it's going to blow my mind and take me to places that I actually didn't, you know, didn't end up think I was going to go. That's what I wanted. That's always what I want to read. So that's what I tried to write. And I think i I think I've been successful. So you're doing multiple books at the same time? That was this year. So every Damn. year, we talked earlier about different levels of grit, training weaknesses, and yeah. you know, all that stuff, and um, goal setting. So I try um, to set different kinds of writing challenges every year. You know, and sometimes, like when I wrote Bold, one of the reasons I wrote Bold is because every business book I'd ever read sucked. They were just so boring. They were terrible. And I was like, okay, so the business challenge, the cha writing challenge was Bold, was can I write a business book that doesn't suck? that's fun and engaging and illuminating. Um, and you, was I successful or not is somebody else 
can decide, but that was my challenge. So I also sometimes, I, uh, when I was writing Bold, I was also writing Tomorrowland. It was, I was trying to write two books at once to see if I could do it. Wow. So now I'm trying to write three at once. Damn. Which is uh, massively difficult. I'm having existential breakdowns about like <laughs> embarking in one. <laughs> like, not, Let me show you, son. Not, not for the faint of heart. And let's just say that my wife has, she's a very lovely woman who has somehow like can forgive the fact that I've been like, honey, I'll see you in two years. Right. <laughs> you know? Do you have a, is there, does it become more and more, so at this point you are, you're a successful author. Like you could, you could say that or I'll say that or whatever. Um, is there a point where it's like, it becomes more pressure with success because now you have to outdo yourself or you're like, it's okay if this book bombs. Oh, so that's an interesting question. Um, so it's interesting. I always say when I teach writing, I always remind people that like, and this is going to, it comes out harsh, but like you're in, in, in the arts in actually pretty much anywhere. You're always somebody's bitch. <laughs> and so like, as you come up in writing, right? Like you're working for your editors in the beginning. Like in the beginning, you you maybe are probably working at a low enough level that like you have a little more freedom, but you're still working for your editors, working for a magazine or a newspaper or a right. When you sell your books, you're at you have a publisher, you have a right, and even as you get to the any level of success, suddenly you have an audience, and you know they've been loyal to you and they've helped you yeah. get where you go, and like it's making a living out of work is so crazy hard just such a, so many people try and it you know it takes so much luck and so much work i think um and that like you share anybody who's going to give me seven hours and read one of my books yeah. like that's a big ask thank you right and so you feel like so you're suddenly you're like oh my god my audience is bitch so like <laughs> the pressure to outdo the previous book like you have to lose that early on i'm on uh last hand was my ninth book and I've got two more in drawers. So there's 11. I've done, I've written 11 books total. You have to vary, like when I was writing, so West of Jesus was a book that I was very proud of. And I, when I finished it, I was like, wow, that's the best thing I've ever written. And I couldn't start my next book. Like it took me nine months of like daily facing blank pages. No writer couldn't get anywhere because of the shadow of that book. And so I learned, oh, you have to, so I have a rule, which is you always start your next project a week before your last project finishes. So like the novel, I st the week before Stealing Fire came out, I started the novel. I always want to be thinking about what's the next creative project and I always want it moving before the last one tails off so that I don't have, so that like that pressure that you're talking about to beat yourself isn't there. Wow, I never heard that. I like it. How do people find more of your stuff? How do people learn more? We're wrapping this thing up. StephenCotler.com. Bam. Bam. That's easy like enough. That. <laughs> what about like social, social and all that stuff? Which ones are you uh, like? Steven underscore Kotler on Twitter is good. Cool. Um, I'm there. I'm all over Facebook um, at, in like 11 different manifestations. Perfect. Like you can find me through my books or through the Flow Genome Project or Perfect. whatever. I, uh, I, all this stuff is embarrassing to say out loud. I'll include in the, I'll, I'll, I'll chop this part out, including the intro. I'm <laughs> just like, fuck, man, find me on social. Well, whatever. People are interested. People want, people got questions. They want to hear more about the thing. All right. Well, sweet man. Thanks for doing this. Hey. Thanks for hanging pleasure. out. Thanks for attending my my little my little band workshop. That was it. That was a real honor. This was good. I like <laughs> absolutely exhausted at Flow Camp yeah. after a full day of. <laughs> 
running riot and your weird band shit. Some I, I'm, weird shit. I'm sore in places I didn't even know I had. Good, good. Yeah. Well, you were getting overzealous. Not over. You were getting perfect amount of zealous, but you're doing shit that I never, well, most of the stuff, honestly, I had done, but it's like, I'm like, yeah, goddamn, get it. Collar. Oh, yeah, I wanted to get you're the You're taking yeah. it. Yeah, I, I was like, chips <laughs> and ankle and what else can we do? And, yeah. Well, the other thing is, like, like you know, like, you we're doing, we're banding back my shoulder. I got it. 10 inch steel plate in there right um from that's a year old so like nothing's in its right proper place yet yeah um so that was phenomenal therapy cool all right sweet man over and out peace out wrapping it up we're out in the mountains we're gonna go i'm gonna go run with a moose peace align podcast thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did some ways that you can support this podcast one of which you can pick up an align band which is a heavy duty resistance band comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours really great stuff you can be found at therapy.com and also on amazon.com um, thank you also so much for utilizing the amazon affiliate link on the right hand sidebar of the podcast page bookmark that thing anytime you purchase some crap on amazon purchase that crap through that link we get percentage of it costs you nothing and i think that's enough thank you guys so much for reviews on itunes thank you for listening thank you for supporting have a beautiful rest of your day Pow.